Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. As the announcement was made that Richard Linklater's 2014 film Boyhood was among those nominated for this year's Academy Awards, Vice looks back on its interview with the ambitious filmmaker as he discusses the 12-year process of exploring the nuances of youth and the passage of time. Hey, stop! Put the barrier This movie was always so hard to describe, like, the essence of it. But on one level, it's big. It's about life, you know? It's about growing up. It's about time passing and about life going on. And, you know, that sounds so, like, ephemeral, but it's actually pretty specific. Hi, I'm Raihan Salam. Today, Vice meets Richard Linklater, the writer, director, and producer of Boyhood. Richard, thanks very much for joining me. Thanks for having me. So tell me about where the idea for Boyhood came from. Um, I don't know. I was like, I'd been a father for a while, and I was thinking about childhood a lot, and anything that's on my mind, I'm trying to kind of maybe make a movie about it. So but I couldn't really pick a spot, you know, of, of my own childhood that seemed worthy of an entire film. My ideas were dispersed over all those years. I kind of wanted the big canvas, but you can't really do that in film. A novelist can do that, but a, in film, you're stuck with the physicality of the actor's age, right? You know, like, you got a seven-year-old, or, you know, you can't have them jump around in age unless you cast a bunch of different people. I, I was just stuck, basically. I didn't have the you know, that moment. But then the idea hit me to, uh, well, what if you filmed a little bit every year? I could actually express that bigger canvas of maturing and hit, hit a lot of points along the way, not only about growing up, but, you know, parenting. Because the movie's very much about these two youngish parents who are still figuring that out. You know, they're a divorced uh, couple, but you see them kind of in their lives figuring that out. So that was the idea. Um, this kind of longitudinal, uh, you know, narrative that could work through work through these years, and it was always designed to cover first through twelfth grade, which feels like that's the thing you're handed, you know, in our society. And then he kind of goes off to college at the end. So that that structure was always there. How did the story evolve and change as the actors grew mm-hmm. and changed? Well, it was kind of the design of the whole movie was to. I knew it would kind of go where they went. I had that year every year to shoot, edit, and then just kind of think for a year and kind of 
you know, the movie would change with them, the details would be filled in, not just with how the actors were developing, but, you know, the culture or anything that was striking me uh, as worthy of being in the film. So you get these kind of moments, you know, that maybe whether it's the Obama election or a Harry Potter book release or, you know, little things that I thought, you know, that's something you would re remember maybe. I, I saw the whole film as a kind of a memory, a remembrance, but it was a period film we were shooting in the present tense. It was always thinking way ahead what, what would resonate, what would matter, and, you know, I mean, the backdrop, you know, technological change and all that, that I knew that would just be kind of inherent in them in the design of the movie, you know. The movie is about these two young parents, divorced, single mother raising two little kids. That is a scenario that a lot of middle-class uh, American families are going through, uh, you know, and it becomes more pervasive with every passing year. Uh, I wonder, to what extent were you thinking about that, about something that really connects with where the middle class or the, the white middle class is right now? Well, it's just not uncommon. I mean, my parents divorced, but that was a long time ago. It was less, you know, it was kind of rare back then. Now it seems like that's the norm for our culture. And not, not just American culture, worldwide. You know, people point at that and say, oh, it's the values. No, it's a worldwide thing that the family unit is just changing in something else. So, you know, a lot of young people have step-siblings or, you know, additional family members. It's kind of this fluid thing. But that that's just, it felt very real and worthy of exploring, you know. Talk to me about the sibling relationship, because uh, you know, I, I found that to be one of the most affecting things about the movie. Uh, so, you know, you, you grew up in this kind of chaotic family, you know, things are changing, you're being uprooted, going from one place to another, but then you've got one other person in the world who also has the same yeah. difficult parents or wonderful parents yeah. or whatever else. I mean, uh, what was your thinking about that? It's pretty fascinating. I, I was trying to mirror how I felt about my, I have, two older sisters and so do I yeah and from the younger it's amazing how much they kind of dominate your life when you're younger like your parents are one thing but the other kids kind of like you're the youngest you're kind of you're stuck with them but um and you do battle you battle for territory and rights and um but how that changes especially if if you've been through a lot together you um you know, you're kind of partners, and at some point, you're, you're supportive of one another. So we see that they kind of, you know, they they irritate each other when they're younger, but by the end, they're 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 really supportive of one. You see them sticking up for each other. So I think that's that's the best version I think of sibling. <laughs> but you know, there's going to be those conflicts just by by nature. You know, that just negotiating space in this world is is always kind of difficult, sometimes treacherous with, uh, with siblings. One thing I wonder about is, uh, you know, the star of the film, a uh, young guy called Ellis Coltrane. Um, just being around you, being around these adult <laughs> actors, being around the scene, having this be this thing that's a kind of landmark of his life, that must have shaped his personality because he's starting out when he's six years old. Yeah, you know, it's an interesting phenomenon. It has, it's fascinating, and he speaks very eloquently about it. Like I always say, yeah, the film was gonna go where he went, but the real question, did he go kind of where the film went to? It's a, it's a mystery, but he speaks, um, he has a lot to say about how he felt it did kind of shape his life to be involved in this long-term artistic project that it didn't even feel like a film. It was like he was working with 
actors like Ethan Hawke and Patricia Arquette. And, it's got to be a pretty you know, heady he experience. Just, part of the thing, you know, the set photographer is this cool guy. He's, you know, giving him some, you know, he becomes kind of a photographer. Who knows how that is this, wild. any experience shapes any of us. You know, I think it's, but in, in this case, I, you know, it was a, it's kind of a, a big responsibility for the film and myself, to, but I felt that, and I hope that this would be a positive thing in his life. And I think the upside of it was you, you get all the fun stuff, the creative upside of being involved in something like this and, the, and never the downside of it actually being coming out, you know, the way people respond or are disappointed or, you know, whatever that might be for a child actor, he didn't have to experience. He's 19 now and the film's out, so he can at least process it all as, as a young adult. But I think it could screw up a 12-year-old depending on how, you know, how people respond, you know? So the film starts out in one city and then the family in this kind of traumatic way that, you know, that, that it can be when you're a little kid moves to another city and then kind of, and bounce around a little bit more. All in Texas, but in very, very different landscapes. Uh, and I wonder about that just, you know, as the, as the boy, as, as Mason Jr. grows up, how did you treat kind of landscape and kind of his view on the world and, and how, it fa how it shaped the, the film itself? <laughs> well, there was always a certain mobility and, and I, I kind of wanted to capture the, the powerlessness that you have as a little kid. If your parent gets a new job in a town somewhere far away, then you're just uprooted and you, haven't, you say goodbye to your friends and move. You know, you have no agency over what's really going on in your life. So um, that's how I kind of felt. We moved around a lot, but I think a lot, you know, a lot of people do. But yeah, we never, <laughs> Texas is a good state to be stuck in because it's so big. There was a lot of, we never really leave the, uh, the state border, but <laughs> it does cover quite a bit of ground. And at the end, he drives all the way to, you know, West Texas. He, he's going to college out there. Totally different look, you know, you're out in the mountains. It's kind of beautiful. You have an ensemble. You have actors you've worked with for a really long time, actors that you've seen grow up and change, actors I'm sure you've influenced and perhaps you've been influenced by. Sure. Um, in different ways. I wonder, uh, you know, since this is such a long-term project, what is it that the actors playing the parents brought to the film and brought to the changing storyline? Oh, gosh, so much. I mean, the reason I wanted to work with, like, Ethan and Patricia, they were both, you know, relatively young parents, of Patricia especially, and I thought they would have a lot to say or express about that. I mean, this whole thing's kind of a collaboration of, I mean, everybody was a kid once, and then we all have our own parents in that relationship, and then we all, the three of us, were going through our own parenting, you know, as parents. Between us, I think there were five kids born, you know, while we were making. And your oldest daughter is, uh, and is one of the stars it, of the so film. It's very kind of family-oriented. Yeah, my oldest daughter is, um, plays the older sister, so. Um, it was just kind of a fun project that, that, that was the subject, family. So everyone was, there's probably not anything in the movie that wasn't kind of tethered to someone's reality that either happened or maybe they, you know, it's, it's, it's all pretty real. Were there any sharp turns? Uh, you know, was there ever a situation where, uh, you know, um, Olivia and Mason Sr., clashed uh, because the actors had kind of different visions of, of how a kid ought to be raised or anything like no, that? No, <laughs> no, I think anything like that happened off screen or it happened before the movie starts. They're already separated, you know, they're divorced when it begins. 
So it's kind of from the kid's perspective. Like, you never know why your parents divorced. They just aren't together anymore. And maybe you learn later. Like, even in the last episode, he hears something from a kind of a drunken uncle who's just going off on his graduation party. But he says something that kind of shines a light back on what his parents' relationship must have been like at that moment. You know, so it's never too late to kind of try to understand, you know, what was going on when you were too little to understand. So kind of a fascinating thought really but this 12-year period in this canvas created kind of afforded that sort of uh, that sort of thinking so mason jr has this arc where i mean it's just amazing you know, in, the, in these early scenes he's just a, a little delinquent <laughs> you know he's just kind of you know running around the subdivision you know kind of graffitiing and spray painting kind of thing. exactly i mean it's pretty advanced for a six-year-old well he's got he's got a friend who's you know he's probably got the friend who's leading him to that um, I don't think any of the stuff, he's, he's not like getting into trouble, he's property damage, he's not. But, you know, you're around it. What kid isn't? Yeah. You know, by the time he's in eighth grade, they're having this camp out where there's, uh, there's some beers and, you know, the older guys are really, you know, pushing. Egging them on. Yeah, yeah. It's like we've all been to that camp out. So, so there is this little moment, though. Uh, in the movie where I just feel as though just a light switch, you know, gets uh, gets turned on. I mean, just this moment where you just suddenly see uh, Mason Jr. as an adult. And I thought this moment happened uh, when he was camping with his dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's just this moment where suddenly like, whoa, where do these words come from? I mean, th- this kid yeah, is just, like, this kid is a, so dazzlingly articulate. I found that very interesting. Yeah, I, and I kind of wanted it to mirror how you do kind of come into your own, you know? Like you're so influenced and limited, I would say, by this world around you that you find your own space in it. And I thought the film would would show that eventually. He would kind of come to the fore in, in his own narrative, and Mom. you see, start you start seeing more attitude and opinions. Have and, you been partying? A little bit. Oh, okay. You know, and and truly, that was Eller and kind of growing into the part where he could, you know, he was more and more of an active participant. He was even as a little kid, you know, he would, uh, you know, put this in your own words or we'd talk through scenes. But, you know, as it went on later, I would be with him like, well, what's, what do you think of something? And, you know, oh, let's work up a scene around, you know, he had a theory about the new, what the new star, if there were ever going to be another Star Wars movie, <laughs> which gets a laugh now. <laughs> but he, he um, you know, was talking about it based on one of the video games from it. And I was like, oh, that's something you'd be talking to your dad. They would bond over that because, yeah. You know, Ethan's character is obviously, you know, a fan, too. He's of that age. So, um, you know, father, son, campfire. Let's talk about Star Wars. Do you feel like you had a moment like that, a moment where your brain kind of switched on and you became a part of the larger universe? Uh, you mean in my own yeah. development? I mean, it's one thing. You have your own thoughts and feelings, but I guess it gets more official the more articulate you become or bounce those ideas. I don't know. I don't know if I had one moment to tell you the truth. I think I did. Did you? When I was nine years old, 1989, uh, the movie Batman came out starring Michael Keaton. Yeah. Uh, you know, big, big movie. And there was a cover of Newsweek magazine talking about Batmania. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, I'm experiencing Batmania you right now. You are Batmania. <laughs> They're counting on you to buy a ticket opening weekend. I have a... Yeah. But I was thinking that that was like my arrival into the world. Yeah, I'm, in, like, I'm, in, I, I'm in the world. I am here. I'm part of something much bigger than yourself. <laughs> Batmania. Like that ever happened to you? Like, because well, as a filmmaker, how does a young person 
decide that movies aren't just an escape, a place you go to on a Sunday afternoon yeah. and you know buy some M&Ms, but rather a movie's a thing that people make. Know. You know, you got a camera, you got a gaffer, you've got a best boy, you've mm -hmm. got this guy, you got that guy. Like, how do how do you figure that out? It took me a long time. Well, I was I'm from another era, you know, um, that people really didn't know anything about it. There was the curtain now. Everybody knows everything, you know, a, a young and the technology. You know, you actually can make films. God, I can't explain to you how foreign a land I felt I grew up in in East Texas where we had, it was like the last picture show. We had one, one theater, one screen, and a new movie would open every Friday. And it was just an entertainment, you know, it was like John Wayne movie, Elvis movie, you know, whatever was going on. It was always fun. But the idea from where I came from that I could ever make a movie, I mean, well, was the movie theater made to you? Movies, like it was, a, you know? it was like a place you go to a lot? Was it? Yeah, it was just fun. But, but no, it was, it was just entertainment. I, um, but I was always a writer, you know, fifth grade on, I felt, oh, I'm a writer. You know, I would write the short story that they would read to the teachers or that, you know, I was always, that was my means of expression young, but I, I hadn't discovered cinema. That, I came to that more, you know, at age 20, in my early 20s. So now I think it's open to young people so much more readily that you know about, you know, even when I was a kid, I think the only famous filmmaker was Alfred Hitchcock. And even then, I didn't know what he did. He was just that guy who made those movies, you know. He was in them, and there was something cool. But I didn't know what a film director did. I didn't see it as an option. Or, but it, it, there was a moment, you know, once I was about, you know, I was getting older, and I, I, you know, started seeing some movies. And like, oh, wow, that's a f means of expression. Like, wow, you could maybe write a movie or express yourself in cinematic terms. So it... Once that realization hit me, I, I just started thinking, and I realized I was thinking already in cinematic terms. I wasn't like a novelist. I was a, I was a filmmaker. You know, I had those images in my head. I could edit my, head. you know, whatever visual thing that is. I think you need to have. I, I had it. You know, so. Well, it's funny you mentioned Hitchcock because when I think of Hitchcock, I think of this kind of hyper hyper precision, and I think about the way in which you know the movie comes fully formed from his brain and how yeah. you know, everything is a kind of a little statue. Every scene is just right. Storyboarded. Whereas, you know, yeah, exactly. Whereas you know, thinking about Slacker, for example, yeah. I mean, this is just you know ultra naturalistic and feels yeah, like yeah. a portrait of this the you know big belly of this this living breathing city mm -hmm. and i wonder how much of that is just my imagination how much of it really is super precise and storyboarded and how much it was just kind of supernatural most films really are there is a precision and i mean it's all a construct you know i'm always going for that realistic feel where you you take it as a reality but you know nothing's real you really have to work to achieve that so but um, hitchcock i think was the extreme and and there are other filmmakers who you know it's all it's all planned, you know, it's storyboarded, here's the shot, the shooting of it is really just the rendering of something that's already been determined. Was you know, you're kind of, you could be bored on your own set, you know, you're reading, it's just like, okay, we got that, check, check. Not that those films can't be great, it's just a personality thing. I'm never so confident, you know, in my scripts or I, the way I see it as this kind of living, breathing thing. I want to collaborate and, and keep it growing, you know, like an idea. Most of my films, I'm trying to explore something that I'm not even sure what it is. So I'm still learning and, and feeling my way through a particular subject, sometimes something I have mixed feelings about. So I, I really enjoy the process of rehearsing and continuing to write and shooting, even, even up to the shoot between takes. Maybe there's a new something worth exploring. So to me, it's a living, breathing thing always, you know, so. 
But that said, it sounds loose, but it's still pretty, pretty precise medium. So it's true that your films feel like they're living and breathing, though you have hmm. made some films that do feel, uh, you know, a, a lot more like a like a Broadway musical, like a lot more <laughs> produced. Like School of Rock so. is definitely yeah, a movie yeah. that you know a lot of our viewers will have watched as kids. Uh, mm -hmm. And I wonder, is that just an example of you wanting to experiment with lots of different forms? Well, everything's a, just a different story. You know, every movie's a different story you're trying to tell, and it kind of needs to be told the appropriate way. You know, so for School of Rock, it's fun to have like the luxury of a say a studio, a, even a low budget studio budget, so we could kind of make those numbers big at the end and have fun with that. So. Yeah, just every, every, every movie's different. Every story has its own needs. I still work the same way, though. I'd say I work the same way with actors, rehearse, try to draw stuff out of them. And, you know, to me, it's the, same, it's the exact same process every time. It's just a different story you're trying to tell. How much of that was, is the culture of being in Austin, being in Texas, rather than, let's say, being in a place like L.A. or New York, you know, you know that allowed you to feel like you didn't have to kiss up to anyone, you can just kind of do your own thing. Yeah, there's a good and bad side. I mean, you're pretty far from the official industry, you know, so there's not a support network there. But, you know, you can kind of develop on your own outside the, um, I guess, expectations of, a, of an industry or, or even, say, narrative or what people think a movie is or isn't. So I've always kind of lived in my own bubble of my own, <laughs> you know, creation in a certain way that I could it allows me to think a certain way and kind of try to, I guess the key thing is to think it's still worth it, you know. You work 12 years for no money on something, but it, you're just trying to tell a story. It's not about, uh, it has no ties to like the industry or commercialism or anything. It's just, you know, if you're lucky enough to get a chance to make a movie, you got to kind of appreciate that opportunity and, uh, you know, try to articulate what, you know, your story and what you've been lucky enough to have a chance to do. So it, this film, Boyhood, just, it was outside of all of that. You know, it just felt like it wasn't even a film. It was just this living art, you know, long-term living art project of some kind. That, yeah, it's in the cinematic world, but it was something that Part just had no expectations. Why did you stop yeah. at, at, well, at you 18, 19? College, you know, everybody, everybody uh, goes <laughs> off to college. My film has now gone off to college. Yeah. And I'm, you know, that's... <laughs> That's where I find myself today. Well, you know, you have, yeah. you have in the past, a la Mason Jr.'s conversation about the possibility of new Star Wars films, mm -hmm. you have revisited old characters. Uh, yeah. You know, certainly, uh, you know, the before mm -hmm. uh, Sunrise, Sunset, Midnight films. Any possibility that Mason Jr. Uh, will emerge at you know, age 30? It's, <laughs> yeah, who knows? It could, be, it could be sooner. I don't know. It's so fresh. You know, we've, we were filming last October. Um, I don't... You know, it hasn't even been a year since we weren't. I, I haven't even processed that this film's over. So, um, I don't know. I, I wouldn't be surprised. But you, you never know what you're going to think in the future about how something might, you know, occupy your mind and kind of demand to be, you know, articulated or worthy of exploring. So that's why the before movies, you know, Jesse and Celine, we sort of put them away. And then about five or six years go by and we're like, you know, Damn, they're, they're kind of wanting to say something about where they are in life or a new stage of life. So that's how that's happened twice. But I, don't, I wouldn't predict it would ever happen again. It just either does or it doesn't. When you see uh, Patricia Arquette, when you see Ethan Hawke, do you ever talk to them about uh, 
how the lives of Olivia and Mason Sr. will continue to unfold? Uh, not really, no. <laughs> you probably have better things to talk about. No, we, we <laughs> spent our 12 years talking about them and their lives. I haven't really, I mean, we make jokes about even Patricia. There's that kind of ranching scene at the end when oh, he goes God. off to college. I was practically but I was, slitting my wrist. Yeah, I know, it's a tough one. <laughs> you know, she's like, uh, but I said, you know, this evening a friend's gonna call, she's gonna go get a drink, she'll be fine. It's just a moment she's sort of earned through, through this movie. It's something a mom, very real feeling a mom might have, so. But I think she's earned it. But I, I don't think it spells doom or anything. You know, it's like, hey, she'll find the upside of an empty nest, too. I also was, part of me was hoping that uh, when Mason Sr. has another child, uh, that you just start the process all over just, again. Here we go, here we go, yeah. <laughs> kind of like a nested Matryoshka doll kind of thing. Yeah, <laughs> it could. I told Eller, yeah, you know, he's gonna go to Europe, get on a train. <laughs> it's only like four years, from, he's 19, so. Oh, no, good I'm God. not that, I'm not it's that. Like a, it's I'm like an inception of Linklater no, films. Yeah, I have no interest in that. None. I have so many other <laughs> stories I'm trying to tell, work on, you know, so who knows. What are some of the stories you're working on? Wow, it kind of runs the gamut. I don't know. Big, you know, for every film I get made, I, I tend to get this backlog of scripts I've been working on or developing or, you know, so I sit here with like 10 things I'm, I'm ready, I would like to do, but I'm not so sure which, which is next. Yeah. Is the desire to keep making films uh, partly a product of the fact that it's kind of the way you've come to express yourself, or mm -hmm. is there some other compulsion at work, or <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what is it? I don't know, I just, lucky, I, I kind of found my medium, and it's just the, kind of the filter through, you know, the way you see the world, and I guess I'm, re I'm really lucky that to have had the chance to do that. You know? so, you so many just... people strive to do it, you know, and I just came along, it feels really natural to me, it's never been a big struggle, I just, you know, making a film for me is a real natural part of life. Does it feel natural because literally as you go through life, you have a conversation with, um, you know, your kids or, or whoever else or an old friend? I mean, are you seeing it through a kind of cinematic lens or are you kind of yeah. processing and kind of, you know? I think so. Even reading everything, I kind of adapt it to a film. I'm sort of stuck in that cinematic mode. You know, I know we're kind of in the age of TV now, you know, everybody's, oh, long form and all this. I'm kind of like, God, I'm kind of a feature film guy and not that I do have some longer things that maybe could be a longer film and that would be the way to see them but it's like there are all these expanding possibilities right now in the media landscape and but I'm I'm feeling a little slow to adapt to to that you know I just kind of like I think in feature film terms I think thanks very much for joining us yeah really good to, really nice talking to you 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.